Today's lesson is from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. 
for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Thanks be to God. When you hear that sound, it's um, a cue for you to find your Bible. That's all they're doing, so they're just inviting you to find the Bible. There are some Bibles um, under the chairs, or you might have one on your device. I'm just going to take you through um, bits of Scripture, so it's good to have your Bible. I mean, it will come up on the screen anyway, but I'm inviting you for us to do a bit of exposition and just do a verse-by-verse That's how we are going to do it this morning. So, if you're able to find a Bible with you, then you can actually check up on me and see whether what I'm saying is right or wrong. That's a good way, isn't it? It's good practice. It's what we see the early church doing. They sat down and listened to the teaching of the apostles, and they were able to go through bits by bits to relate them to what they were saying. This morning, we continue our series. In fact, we're coming to the end of our series in the book of Acts, Life in the Early Church. And um, just a quick uh, overview or summary in case you haven't been around to hear that we picked this up post-Easter, and we're looking at the different, different things that happened after Easter. So, we start in Acts 1-8, and then we go through to Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. And then after that, um, we looked at the fellowship of believers there, take one. And then we moved from there and heard from Mark about this story in chapter 3 of that lame man who was healed. And then Sam Bailey picked this up again at the all-age service with a slightly different take about boldness and stepping up to share our faith in boldness. Well, last week we had from, well, before, after that we had from Graham, Graham Wasfold, again slightly different on the fellowship of believers, but with an emphasis on how we actually live out our lives looking out for one another. Amy picked up this story of Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion is not very far from here. And so that's what she was touching on. But we are coming back a little bit to chapter 4 here, which follows on from what Mark and Sam shared about that story of that lame person being healed. What does the response look like? My title is Fill Us Up and Send Us Out. You hear that in the liturgy, fill us up and send us out. Paul invites us to be filled continually with the Spirit. Be ye continually filled with the Spirit. And so in chapter 4 here, we are introduced to the resistance or opposition to the gospel. I don't know whether, like me, you pray for the church to be like the early church, the church in Acts, full of the Spirit, performing miracles, loving one another, living generously, growing by the day. That's a lovely picture, isn't it? 
Do you, does anybody desire that? I do. I'm sure you do. That's a beautiful picture. But the early church was also faced with opposition and persecution. Well, that bit is not as exciting to read and desire for, but it goes with the whole package as well. All that joy of excitement, of preaching, of manifestation of the miracles, of the infilling of the Spirit, alongside it comes the resistance and the persecution. And as I start to share, I'm going to go through this, but you may have heard Amy say a little bit that Paul, before he was converted as Saul, oversaw the stoning of Stephen as a martyr. There was something going on there in opposition to the gospel. In parts of the world, opposition to the gospel happens. And I'm just going to invite Angelo to share a little bit about what he does with the organization OMF, just for about two minutes, just so we can hear. When you read in Acts, you think, that's way back. You think about open doors. We support them doing ministry to the persecuted church. It's far. But sometimes it's good to relate to these things a bit closely. So Angelo, who is on the ground with this, just share with us a little bit. Good morning. Um, I work for OMF, as Sam was saying, and we focus our work in Southeast Asia, where also many of the countries that were prayed for are, are based. And persecution in, in our work has two faces. I can share more about OMF, but persecution has two faces. And in many of the countries, the government is the one that is after you if you are a Christian and you want to preach the gospel. The government is the one that will make it difficult for you to get a visa or to open a bank account or to start your own company or to even receive friends from overseas. The neighbor on the other side, they love you. They, they want to talk about the Hollywood movies with you. They want to talk about football with you. They want to talk about uh, English things or European things because they love that part. In some other countries, it's completely the opposite. The government doesn't really care what you're doing because they know you have money. They have they know the churches bring finances, they bring more people, they bring teams. So they want to develop that, that, that money flow. The neighbor is the one that doesn't want you there. The neighbor is the one that is, is controlling you and checking you. And, and there are some neighborhood police and stuff like that. And, and on top of the whole problematic... Is, is the family issue. It's not so easy. In the West, we are very individualistic. We, I accept Jesus. It doesn't matter what my parents or my brother or my family or my clan, we don't even talk about clan, or my village. We don't talk about village anymore. But in some of these countries, is, is the sense of belonging to your family, to to. To, yeah, to where you belong, where you were born to, that is much stronger than in our cases. 
And that's just a little taster. You'll hear a bit more about OMF. It's just good to hear what this looks like in other places. And if there are people from Southeast Asia, maybe over tea and coffee, they might give you an insight maybe to their own story. In our reading today, Peter and John have been called to the Sanhedrin, to the temple court, to answer and explain a case. So what is this case? In chapter 3, they had prayed for a lame man who had been healed. And from verse 11, they start preaching and explain what has happened. That's what they're doing. So they, they seem to use every opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Every opportunity to them, this is an opportunity. That's what Paul says. Even when he's persecuted or in prison, he says it is an opportunity to share the gospel. That's how he looks at it all the time. So who is persecuting them? Chapter 4, you've got your Bibles. Chapter 4, verse 1. You can see that it is the Sadducees, the priests, the captains of the temple guard. These are the people who are persecuting them. But the question is, why? Why are they persecuting them? Well, verse 2 tells us a little bit. And in verse 2, we can see some of the two key themes that the Sadducees are struggling with and they're opposed to. They thought that they would get rid of Jesus, but now the disciples are proclaiming him again. They thought that with the crucifixion and all of that, they had got rid of him. But he's popping up again. They thought that they had finished him off, but guess what happens on Easter? He is alive. He is risen. He is alive today. They cannot stand this message. They just cannot stand it. It's eating away at them. This is why. So what do they do? Verse 3. They put Peter and John in jail, ready to be tried the next day. Meanwhile, verse 4. This is almost like a by the way. Help me read this as loud as you can. But many who had the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about can you imagine trying to get rid of something and then it's popping up everywhere? Have you played some of those games in arcades where have you, my daughter lo- used to love one of those? Bom, bom, bom. Do, you, do you know the one I'm talking about? What's its name? What's it called? Whack-a-mole. Is it just for whacking them all? Is that what it's called? Uh, but have you played one of those games? It just keeps coming up. It almost feels like this here. They're trying to get rid of him. And he pops up again. Then they try to get rid of him. And he pops up again. And then they're trying to get rid of him. It's happening again. In verse 3, they think we are now ready to try these people the next day. Then guess what happens? In verse 4, those who have heard believe. And 5,000 of them come to faith, if you to use that language. Now, how do the apostles, Peter and John, respond to all this in this situation. This is the court scene. Okay, they've come to state their case. Verse 7. 
by what power or name? They say, by what power do you perform this miracle? Healing the lame man. By what power? Tell us. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Can you imagine? If you were in court and you're just about to respond, if this could be said of you, then name yourself filled with the Spirit, said. Rulers and elders of the people. It's the Spirit that gives boldness in that situation. Verses 10 to 12. They preach, and they don't preach themselves. They preach Jesus. It's always, only, ever, all about Jesus. In verse 11, they quote, don't they? Quote Psalm 118. We had that read nicely, that that stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. Highlighting verse 12. At ascension, you remember that scene at ascension? There was a crowd there as Jesus is leaving them. And let's say he's commissioning the 12. The 12 apostles go and tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. At Pentecost, in the upper room, you've gone from about 12 to 120. You move on from there in chapter 2 of Acts. From 120, when when Peter preaches, how many are added? Anybody remember? Your your Bibles are with you, so you can can find all these things. I'm saying them. The answers are there. This is in chapter 2. 3,000, as Peter preaches. So they've gone from the 12 there, then the 120 waiting, then 3,000 here. And then we've just read here in chapter 4, 5,000 have believed. But go back to chapter 2. You preached on this, didn't you, Andy? Chapter 2 in that section from 42 to 47 finishes by saying, to their number was added daily those who are being saved. Can you calculate how many have become Christians at this point? Can you keep up with the numbers? So this record is just some of the numbers that have given, been given to us, but this says men. It's just the men who have been added at this point. So the women maybe the children, and maybe all the other others who are not being listed here. And what's interesting is they're not even called Christians until verse 11, isn't it? Until chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 26, that's when they're first called Christians. Is that right? Do you find that in your Bibles? In chapter 11, verse 26, if somebody asks you, when we are Christians first called Christians... So all this time, it's saying they believed, they believed, they believed. But they are not yet called Christians. Has anybody found verse 26 of chapter 11? Help me read what it says. If you found it. 
Read it, Daniela. Say it a bit louder. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So all this time, they are believing, they are trusting, they are disciples, they are followers. And then at that point, they are then recognized as Christians first there. Why am I mentioning these numbers and all this stuff? Is to say, we think we do mission. Many organizations are doing mission. But who does mission best? God does. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit fills Peter and John to bring healing. He fills. That's where boldness comes in chapter 2, that full of the Spirit, Peter preaches. And those people come. Daily to their number was added, it says. Not the people adding to those numbers, but the Holy Spirit is doing. He does that work of increasing the church continually. Because verse 12 tells us salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. They preached in the power of the Spirit, not in their own power. When I was ordained, and more recently when Angela was ordained and Catherine, you hear the bishop say these words, you cannot, you cannot, what are the words? You cannot do this on your own. Pray earnestly for the Spirit. And in that moment, everybody will hold this moment for long. A reminder every time that none of us does any ministry that we do, ordained or not ordained in our own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. It is written in here, not by mistake, not for us to just read it and run over it, but to remember that it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. He grows the church, he calls people to faith, he explains scripture better than any of us can ever do. Paul says, I do not come to you with eloquence of words. He was one of the most well-read people. But he says, I come to you in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit who does that. In parts of the world where they don't have text like this, they don't have commentaries, they might be speaking and translating in about two, three, four, five different languages. It's a bit like Chinese whisper. What I've said here, by the time it gets to you at the back there, it could be something else. But the church is growing. So how does that happen? It, it just must be the Spirit who is doing that kind of work. What's the reaction of the Sadducees to all this? Verse 13. The Sadducees are astonished at the courage and unschooled. They realized that these people were unschooled, ordinary men. And what does that draw him to, the, to conclude? They conclude that actually these people must have been with Jesus. There's only one way. They cannot do what they're doing in their own strength. These unschooled, ordinary people, it must be the Spirit 
Are there any unschooled, ordinary people here? Don't raise your hands. But that might be my story. I ask myself, how can I come to be a vicar in this church of very many schooled, clever, high-powered people? Because I've got to know you a little bit and I can see your stories. And that's intimidating to know the things that you do. Then, when I think, ah, well, I can come and lead not in my own power or intellect or competence, well, I can do that. If I was to come and lead in my own power and intellect and degrees, well, I wouldn't say yes to doing it because I cannot compete with you. But it's not a competition. It's coming only to point you to Jesus. That's all I'm seeking to do. And that's all that each of us is invited to do, is to point people to Jesus. That's what these people are doing, Peter and John. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they step away that Jesus is lifted high. And as they do that, Jesus defends them and grows the church himself because it's about him. Friends, we don't need qualifications or experience or many degrees or a lot of... I know I keep saying, how many, how many years have you been at church? Almost like that's a qualification to do anything. No. There is somebody who came for the first time and she's back, she's here. And that's the only qualification is just to be. Just be. Whether that's being a member or that's saying yes to Jesus and just take that step with him because only then... And he help us along the way. Verse 14, what does it say? But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Let's read that together. One, two, three. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there is nothing. There's some lawyers in here, aren't there? You, you like evidence. Somebody's going to make a case and it's going to be evidence. So you come here in court and there's going to be evidence. That, that, that. Well, the man who has been healed previously is right there. That is his story. You can make all the arguments, but they cannot argue with that. He is right there before them. Verses 18, 15 to 18, they decide that they need to put a stop to this preaching of Jesus. They didn't want the teaching to spread. That's their commitment. Even having seen all this and heard about it, that's their dedication and commitment. But we're reminded that in verse 4, as whenever they're seeking to do this, to the number is being added those who are being saved. So what happens next? like Daniel and his friends, verse 18 to 20. Peter responds, which is right in God's eyes. Can you, can you hear this boldness? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Who do we listen to? To you or to this man? He's here. Yes, they're they are kicking up a fuss because this guy is celebrating. I've been healed. This is my story. 
They don't like it. So he says, which, which is better? To listen to you or to him? How do you deal with opposition or persecution? Compromise is easy, isn't it? It's easy to throw in the towel. It's easy to give up. And yet here we see these stories of these people who did not rely on their own strength, but pressed on in the power of the Spirit. So, verses 21 to 22, how do the people respond? Peter and John go and find those people, the ones they had left, and tell them what had happened. What's their response? Is that the one after that? Where it says their response is, they are so focused on Jesus that the stories of persecution and opposition just motivate them even more. So they get together in prayer and they praise and worship God. It's probably after that. If you're following in your Bibles, can you see the verses that follow? Verse 31. They respond in prayer. That's what they turn to. That's what they've known. We're talking about encounter. We're talking about opportunities to pray. Their response in this time is, well, let's do what we've done. It's what Daniel does in the face of persecution. He turns to, to prayer. So this is what they turn to. And as they do, the place is shaken, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, they speak the word of God boldly. I just want to bring this to a close and encourage us to be those who rely on the Spirit. Persecution or opposition will sound different in our context. And sometimes it's hard to get to grips with this when you read it, especially if you haven't experienced it yourself. It's hard because it just feels like somebody else's story. But when you've walked through it yourself, it's a very different feel. When you're in that moment, when you think, how do I respond to? And Amy was encouraging us last week that just share your own story of encounter with God. But we do that sensitively and wisely in different ways. What I would love us to do this morning, not saying that as you go out, you're going to face persecution or opposition to the gospel, I don't know. I don't know your path. I don't know where you're going tomorrow. I don't know where you'll be at school or in your place of work or at home. Are you all Christians in your household? I don't know. Are all your best friends Christians? Maybe. Does everybody like the gospel wherever you are? I don't know. How can you share the love of Jesus. When I say the gospel, it might sound grand that you come up to preach to them. 
it might be an opportunity, as Amy was sharing last week, that she is just able to say what she was doing at the weekend. And people have noticed something that's different. And you sit on that board of governors and they say, oh, what are your values? And where do you draw your values from? But one thing that I would love us to do this morning is to ask, as these people did, for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the band are going to lead us. And as the band play and we respond in worship together, I would love us to have that posture just to say, Lord, come and fill me with your spirit. But also, you might be here this morning, and like that man in chapter 3, you would like prayer for something. Maybe this morning you've got a need, and you've come this morning thinking, I'm desperate, I've had this thing for so long. Like this man, it says, Philip read it so well, that he was over 40. That was. That's great, isn't it? It just means he had been with that issue for all his life. Whatever thing it is that you've had for a long time and you'd like God to help you with, I don't have the answers. God does, and he chooses how he responds to us. It might be physical healing. It might be spiritual healing. It could be emotional healing. Maybe you need comfort this morning. Maybe this time of ministry is just for you. But it might be that you would like particular prayer for boldness to step out and share. The needs will be many this morning. And so as we worship, you might want to just stay sitting and worship together, or you might want to come to the front and receive prayer. I'll be at the front here with um, Sam and Heather and maybe, I don't know who else might like to join, any connect group leader um, or Andy. We'll just be on hand here if you need prayer for a particular thing. But the first prayer is for all of us, for the infilling of the Spirit. That's what I read here. As they prayed for the Spirit, he came on all of them. Nobody missed out. Just as it was in the upper room in Acts 2. Nobody missed. What it looks like after looks different for us. So shall we stand? This point, and then as we go on with worship and ministry, feel free to sit if you would like to. I'm just going to read out a few things. At the beginning of the service, we were praying, and some of these pictures or words came, and it might be that this is for you. There was a sense that when we gather, it's the opportunity for us to be honest and real and open with God. Sometimes we come and we put on the front, but actually in the presence of God, we can do that. There was a word, freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. God wants to set the captives free. It's one of the things that Jesus says 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free. There was a sense of the wind. The Holy Spirit is wind. The wind goes where he chooses. We cannot box the Holy Spirit. But the spirit, the wind also brings refreshing. Maybe you're feeling exhausted and weary and tired and you just need refreshing. If you'd like prayer at any point in worship, I'll be here, we'll be here. But let's worship God together first. And before we do that, I'm just going to pray, come Holy Spirit. So let's hold our hands out if you're able. Either open them up with abandon, or your hands in the air, feel free to kneel, to open up your hands. And I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. You might want to pray it for yourself. Pray in your own words. You know what you need. The Holy Spirit is near. He is closer to us than we think, than we know. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Come.